I know a lot of people that in the natural have nothing, but in God, they got everything. And I know a lot of people in the natural have everything, but they ain't got nothing. They don't have God. So guess what? They have goose eggs. Welcome to the Destined to Win podcast with pastor and teacher Tim Masters. Pastor Tim is the senior pastor of Victorious Life Christian Center in Flagstaff, Arizona. I'm Joe Harding, inviting you to join us for worship services Sunday mornings at 10 at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. For more information on the ministries of Victorious Life Christian Center or to make a donation, visit us online at vlccaz.org. That's V-L-C-C-A-Z dot org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Tim Masters. Back in the early 90s, God gave me Victorious Life Christian Center as a name for a church. When we named Victorious Life Christian Center that name, there was not another church in America. I did a, a search way back then, of saying, okay, God, what's the deal here? There was, a, there, was, there was a few victorious life churches. There was a few uh, different scenarios like that. But Victorious Life Christian Center, which God specifically spoke to me, and I said, God, what, what, okay, I'm changing the name of the church. Our church was another name for many years. And God spoke to me just as clear as I'm speaking to you. He said, change the name, and this is the name of the church. And so I asked God. I said, God, why? And he said, well, what is it that every Christian is struggling to live right now in the world? We're struggling to live a victorious life, aren't we? And God said every time faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, every time they declare the name of the church, what are they making a declaration over their life? Victory. I have a victorious life that God wants me to live. And then Christian, you know, you say, well, that's kind of a no-brainer. No, it was huge. Because we could have just called it Victorious Life Church. We could have just called it Victorious Life whatever. But God said no. In the day and hour we live. And once again, ladies and gentlemen, this was, this was in, in the early 90s. I want to say 92, 94. I was pastoring in California. I think it was 92 when God gave me this. And he said, what is the other greatest struggle that Christians are having? He didn't say Christians. He said people that call themselves Christians. That's how God said it, are having. And he said, just being Christian. Just being Christian. Folks, I've said it for years, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a Big Mac. It doesn't happen. I know people that go to church all the time, and they're no more Christian than, well, you fill in the blank. He said you need to make a declaration of what you have to be to have a victorious life. And the word Christian means Christ-like. You say, okay, pastor, that's pretty deep. Okay. What about center? It's just a place to meet. No great revelation on that piece. Amen. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews 10, do not forsake the, the gathering together, the assembling together, especially as you see the day approaching. So we have this declaration of our faith that we can stand every single day. God, I'm destined to win. So jump right into your notes. We are overcomers, yet why doesn't it feel that way? I'm not talking about every day. I'm talking about some days. Anybody besides you have a day that you don't feel like an overcomer? Okay, I was hoping I wasn't just going to preach to me today. Okay, anybody besides me ever have a day you don't feel like an overcomer? 
Anybody had a week you didn't feel like an overcomer? How about a month? Oh, Lord Jesus, help us. Let's get back to the altar. Come on, everybody, get back to the Folks, struggle is a part of life. And, and so when the Bible tells me that I am an overcomer, why doesn't it feel that way? And I've got a very simple response, and it's on the screen. Could it be that we are focusing too much on the problems? And in our daily lives, we fail to come over to the solution. That's why I wanted to do that song again. Heather, thank you for listening to the Holy Spirit. He is our provider. He is our healer. He is our peace. He is our, our comfort. He is our victory. He is. You see, too many times in our lives, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening by, by Facebook or YouTube, too many times in, in the life that you're living out there, you fail to understand. I fail. I don't want to put this on just people. I fail to understand that I'm in the midst of the forest of problems. But they're made up of single trees of circumstance. And I may not be able to stand here in great confidence and victory and know, God, you can deal with this forest, but he can deal with that stinking tree. I got six amens out of that. Do we focus so much on the problems that we fail to remember and come over to the solution? You say, Pastor, this is not that simple. It is that simple. God's word is our strength. God's word is our victory. God's word is our sure foundation. God's word is the, is the stand that we have. God's word is where we get every bit of strength that your life and my have. That's why, as the title of the sermon says, against hope, we can believe hope. But then I ask that forbidding question, do we? Do we? Let me just share a couple things. The Bible says, say that with me. The Bible says, say that with me. The Bible says, come on, say it like you believe it. The Bible says, if God is for me, who can be against me? Let's try it again. The Bible says, come on, do it. The Bible says, if God is for me, why should I fear what man can do? You see, folks, this isn't Tim Masters preaching. This is God's word. Okay, say, say it with me one more time. The Bible says, come on like you mean it. The Bible says, what is impossible for man is possible with God. So if this is the foundation of my life, what stops me from living? a victorious Christian life. Last week, I made a statement that resonated over and over and over in people's lives. I saw it on Facebook. I saw it all over the place, and that very simply, he won. Can you say it again? He won. He won. That is what gets me through every day of my life. And I'm talking about a Christian. I'm not talking about a pastor. A lot of people, they put pastors on this pedestal. Why don't you chop us off those pedestals? We're just people like you. Just more responsibility. I I always get irritated. I've got pastor friends uh, all over the world. And I've got some of them that say, Pastor, you should have some more mystery about you. Pull yourself away from the people. and Don't let them know that you're just as human as they are. And, and they're dead serious. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading in this Bible, you know, Jesus laughed with the people. Jesus ate with the people. Jesus slept with the people. Jesus got up with the people. Jesus did everything with, I don't. So I think, 
what, what, what kind of mystery do I have to shroud myself in? Now, I do understand that the problem is familiarity. When you become very familiar with the pastor and or his wife, you realize how human we really are, and, and sometimes that will challenge. what God wants to do through him or her. Am I making any sense? Let's go to a man who was very transparent. The man's name was Abraham. Abraham is where this whole message came from. And I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. It's not going to be on the screen. One portion of it is going to be, but the rest of it's not. I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you from verse 18 all the way down to Romans 5, 5. That's the context of this passage. Now, I know some of your Bibles will have it starting up in, in verse 13, and some of them will have it starting or ending and different things. But as I'm reading this, I, I'm looking and I'm thinking, okay, God, I mean, I could end in verse 6, but I want to uh, stop in verse 5. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we have to understand Abraham who the Bible calls the father of our faith. The father of our faith. Generally, generally, the father is the progenitor of how the entire household will act. Well, in today's society, because man has been so uh, ostracized and manhood and manliness has been beaten down so much, men have kind of backed into the shadows and let the wife run everything. Now, ladies, don't get, don't get me wrong. You're doing an incredible job. But you're doing the incredible job is not because that was God's plan. That was man's retreat. Folks, you don't get your hand bit so many times before you start, okay, I'm not putting that out anymore. But that's what the society does. Why? Because society is doing that because Satan's behind it. Why is Satan against manhood? Because God established the hierarchy. The father, the son, man, woman, family, creation. I didn't make it, so don't get nervous out there. If you're a liberationist or whatever they call, a feminist, I love you. God's grace be upon you. But that's God's plan, not mine. Abraham, the progenitor, the beginner, the father of all we are supposed to be as Christians. We trace the concept of faith, if you will, back to Abraham. Though it goes all the way to the very beginning, I mean, Noah He had to have faith. He's in the middle of the desert, and he's building a boat out of wood that doesn't even exist anywhere near where he's at. So he has to ship it in, and guess what they don't have? They don't have shipping docks. They don't have 18-wheelers. They have to get that wood to that area. But Abraham is the progenitor, and look what it says here. Because it was said for his time and for your time and for my time. Against hope, he believed hope. Against hope, he believed. You may be at that place in your life, you're thinking, my, it isn't, nothing's going to change. It is what it is. What has been will be and what will be is going to be again. You know, I mean, pastor, that's what the Bible says. But not when it comes to the defeat of your life. A lot of us live, and I want you to hear this, please. Because we have been slapped, because we've been knocked down, because we have been thrown out a few times, we live in what I call a defeatist perspective. You can change the word defeatist to pessimist. As I've shared before, he's the guy that feels bad when he feels good for fear he's going to feel worse when he feels better. Let me read to you. Romans chapter 4. And let's start, let's start here in the, in the 18th verse. Look what it says here. 
Nope, I, I wrote that down. The 18th verse is where that began. We're going to start uh, in the 16th verse. This is why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace. Grace is God's power at operation in your life. I know, I know we all have heard for many, many years this unmerited favor. It's getting something we don't deserve, and it is that. But when you look at the, the, the totality of what grace means in Scripture and the actual word in the original language, it literally means God's power at operation in your life. So look what it says here. The, the, uh, this is why the promise is by faith, so it may be according to grace. By faith, we step out, and by grace, God steps in. God says, if you will step out in faith, I will step in, in fact. I will give my power to you. That's why the Bible says God gives the measure of faith every time it's needed. You step out, he steps in. Can somebody say amen? So look what it says here. According, are are you in your scripture? Are you in the Bible? Romans chapter 4, verse 16. This is why the promise is by faith so that it may be according to grace. Listen to what it says, to guarantee. Say that with me. You can't get that in a stock market. You can't get a guarantee in life. But God said in me, you can get a guarantee. God says, to guarantee it to who? All. Now, just so I don't lose anybody, I did a Greek word study on the word all. You know what it means? You must have done the same study. To all his descendants. Speaking of Abraham, the father of our faith, all his descendants, not only to those who are of the law, speaking of the Jews, but also to those who are of uh, Abraham's faith. Folks, Abraham wasn't under the law. Are you with me? Abraham was before the law. And you and I, the law has been fulfilled in Christ. Are you with me? Okay. Remember saying amen to a preacher is like saying sick him to a dog. You want to get things going here, okay? So Abraham's faith. He is the father of us all in God's sight. So if we want to do right before God, what's the Bible say? We have to line up to Father Abraham. Father Abraham, many sons have. Okay, stop, stop. Okay. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Why? He believed in God. He believed in God who gives life to the dead and calls those things that are not as though they are. Your faith might seem to be dead right now. You've struggled so long that you don't even see. The, the, I mean, down is as good as you can look. God said if you just lift your eyes a little bit, the promise is still there. He calls those things or not as though they, exi- they exist. He believed, hoping against Hope. Against hope, he believed hope. And because of that, he became the father of many nations. According to what had been spoken, so will your descendants be. Once again, you see how that promise declared twice. He said, you have faith. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And all of your descendants are going to have a, a, a partaken in that faith. And then he repeats it again here in the uh, 18th verse. He considered, Abraham goes on, because folks, this might be where you're at. This might be where you're at. Abraham goes on, and the scripture says, he considered his own body to already be dead since he was about 100 years old. And also considered the deadness of Sarah's womb without weakening in the faith, without weakening in the faith. Say that with me. Without weakening in the faith. 
Now, let me give you a little background of this. God made Abraham a promise when he was 75. You know what promise he made him? You're going to be the father of many nations. Problem is, Abraham had no kids. Sarah was barren. Abraham had nothing. Matter of fact, his name, as we said last week, was Abram. When you add the ham, it means father of many. But God, God said, Abraham, you're going to be the father of many nations. Oh, God, you know my name's Abram, not Abraham. Remember the conversation we talked about last week? 25 years have gone by. And he still doesn't have a son. Maybe you've struggled out there for 25 minutes. 25 hours, 25 days, 25 weeks, months, 25 years. Did God make you a promise? Yes, the same promise he made to Abraham. All the promises of Abraham are for us. In him they're yes, in him they are amen. God said, you're going to have a son. 25 years have gone on. But listen to this. He did not weaken in his faith. He never once wavered in unbelief. Why? Because God promised it, and God, because he did not waver, was able to strengthen his faith. When you and I are going through the things we're going through, God, you promised that I wouldn't go through what I couldn't handle. God, you promised that every everything that happens in my life, you would turn around for the good. God, you promised. And when you stand in that promise, you know what happens? That faith you have, it starts growing. It starts developing. When you stand against hope, God builds your hope. Can somebody say amen? Why was Abraham able to stay, stand? It goes back to the very first statement I made to you. He was able to stand because he was fully convinced that what God promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him for righteousness. It was credited to him as right standing with God. When it says it was credited to him, it was not credited to Abraham alone. Are you hearing me? It was not credited to Abraham alone. It was credited to the one that was to come after him at a place called Calvary, who you and I get all of the victory that we have today. It was credited to not him alone, but also unto us. It was credited to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus Christ our Lord from the dead. He has delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So let me continue and, and we get out of this. Therefore, Therefore, because of all of this, because of all of this, chapter 5, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have been declared in right standing. All the power of God is in operation in our life by faith. Because of that, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith to what? Into the grace in which we stand. God's power. Ephesians 3 says exceeding abundantly above anything we can ask or think according to his power that works in us. By faith, we are able to get into the grace by which we stand. And listen to this. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions. You thought I was going to leave that part out, didn't you? We also rejoice in our afflictions. Why? Because afflictions produce endurance. Patience. Patience produces proven Character and proven character produces hope. Against hope, we believe in hope. 
we stand. Am I making any sense at all today? There's times in your life that you think because of one thing or the other that you can't get one thing or the other. There was a young man that his whole life, all he wanted to do was be a riverboat captain. All he wanted to do was be a steamboat pilot. His whole life, he prayed, he worked, he studied. He couldn't do anything at the steamboat because he could never get on the boats. Well, as a young man, he heard that they were hiring steamboat pilots. And he thought this was his chance. I get to pilot a steamboat on the Mississippi River. The young man, you know, he's probably around 17. He came to the interviewer, and the interviewer thought, well, gosh, I'm not getting anywhere, anywhere quick. So he was very doubtful that the young man could possibly know the dangers of the river. So he asked the boy, 17 years old, if you're 17, please forgive me. I don't want to offend anybody. But when I was growing up, I was 17. I I was a boy until I got older. Matter of fact, people still call me boy today. All depends on what part of the country you're from. The interviewer asked him, said, son, where are all the rocks in the river? And the boy immediately replied, sir, I I don't know where all the rocks are. But the interviewer kind of hung his head. He got the answer that he figured he was going to get. And he started to walk away. And as he walked away, the boy spoke up and says, but I know where they're not. You see, we think we have to know where everything is. We think we have to know how everything works. Folks, you know, you know what I've learned about success? Success is the product of failure. Do you know how you become more successful? By learning what doesn't work. I'm going to get a little bit more into that in a few minutes. But he said, I don't know where all the rocks are, but I know where they're not. He got the job. Because all that interviewer wanted to make sure is that boat safely got up the river. Where the boy knew where all the rocks were made no difference. He knew the path to get him through the dangers of the Mississippi River. Now listen to me. Age, experience, maturity were all against him. Let me put it in the message that we're talking. He was against hope. In the natural Nothing was working the way he thought it should work. But he still got the job. Why? Against hope. He believed hope. I learned a long time ago, ladies and gentlemen, if we'll just be determined to know what we do know and to do what we do, do well, all the rest of it all has a tendency of coming together. All the rest of it. God promised me many, many years ago, and I've, I've said it countlessly over these years. If I'll just do my best, God said, I got your back. I'll take care of the rest. Say, well, pastor, can you make it a little more simple? Yeah, it's called faith. If you'll just do your best, God said, I will do the rest. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, a very famous passage of Scripture in Christian circles these days. Sadly, the way it's preached is not the context of what the message is. It's preached from a prosperity perspective. That God wants to prosper you, and that's what God wants to do. But when you look at it in context, you have to understand where it's coming from. I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, and to give you hope and a future. As we talked about last week, that word future is literally an expected end. Some of your translations will word it that way. What God is doing here is he's calling the people of Israel out of Babylonian captivity. 70 years of Babylonian captivity. We find it recorded here in Jeremiah, but it was the declaration of what was going on in Daniel. Why Daniel was praying for 21 days. He's saying, God, I know something's happening, but God, it sure feels like nothing's happening. So, God, I need your wisdom. I need your direction. So he sought God. And the Bible says the angel of the Lord was sent immediately to respond. But we know the story. He had to battle the enemy for 21 days. 
Daniel prayed. Daniel fasted. Daniel stood against hope. He believed hope. Are you with me today? You and I face good and bad. And God will use the bad for the good. Whether we caused it or someone else did. The children of Israel were in Babylonian captivity because of their rebellion against God. This is where we find the passage in Proverbs that talks about hope deferred. They believed, they believed, they believed, and they were still in captivity. And finally that day come, and God says, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Remember the angel of the Lord that came to Daniel? He said, it's a good thing that you didn't give up. A lot of times we look at the problem and we give up on the promise. But the angel said, Daniel, because you didn't give up, I'm here with the answer. This is the answer to come. And then after they were taken out of captivity, you know what happened? God speaks to them through Jeremiah. And he says, I haven't changed my plans. My plans are for my people to prosper. Do you know Israel is the number three world power? The littlest nation, not even the size of New Jersey, the number three world power. Does that sound like a prosperous nation? Some of us have been there. It is a glorious thing. You ought to see that when they got it in 1948, it was a mess. All Bible fulfillment. But God says to the children of Israel, and yes, it is to you and I, this passage does apply to us but not in the way that a lot of your prosperity-preaching preachers... Now, folks, let me, let me clarify. I'm a prosperity preacher. I believe in prosperity, but I do not believe that's what God speaks about without categorical responsibility. God is not a prosperity preacher. God is not a poverty preacher. God is a stewardship preacher. God's Word preaches stewardship. Can somebody say Amen. I know a lot of people that in the natural have nothing, but in God, they got everything. And I know a lot of people in the natural have everything, but they ain't got nothing. They don't have God. So guess what? They have goose eggs. God brought them out of 70 years of captivity. He said, I haven't changed my plans. I want to prosper you. I want to give you hope. I want to give you the expected end that I promised. Go read Jeremiah chapter 29 in context, and you'll see what it says. But what I want to do is I want to bring it to your life and mine today really quick. You might say, Pastor, I, uh, Abraham, 25 years. It's been a long time for me, and I, I, I'm against hope. Can you help me believe hope? I believe I can. You see, number one in your notes, if you are unable, God is still able. God is the God that speaks those things that are not as though they are. God is still able. Can somebody say amen? You see, the Bible teaches us very simply that God will never do for us what he's told us to do, but he will never ask us to do what we can't do. This is why I I want to single in on this, this next few lines. There are too many, and maybe you're one of them, that base their future on their past. They base what they can't do simply on what they haven't done. Because I haven't done something, well, how can I ever do something? Let me talk to you a little bit about this guy that I've been talking about already, Daniel. Could you imagine Daniel? He'd never stood before a king and gave him a word about a statue that he had a dream that the king would not tell him about. Could you imagine Daniel? Standing before Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar says, tell me the interpretation of the dream. Oh, by the way, before you interpret it, tell me the dream. 
How many here, you've struggled so long, you can't even remember the dream? God said against hope, I'll still give you hope if you just remember who to go to. Daniel knew exactly what to do. He said, okay, king, I'll do both. Let me go pray. Let me go get with God. That's why Daniel did what he did. He said, I've never been here before. Paul, think about Paul. The guy has been persecuting the Christians. Now he's sent to be the, the savior, if you will, of the Christians at the time, to bring them to Christ. Paul's whole life has been turned upside down. Nothing has gone the way he thought it should go. So when Paul, he's struck with blindness on the road to Damascus, he's taken back to the the place on the street called Straight where a man named Ananias is going to come and lay hands on him that he can receive his sight again. And guess what happens? He receives his sight. He gets baptized in the Holy Ghost. God touches him. And you know what Paul does immediately? He doesn't roll up his sleeves and go to work. He spends 14 years on the backside of the Arabian desert saying, I need to get a hold of God. Things aren't going the way I thought they would. There's one other guy that I want to emphasize. You might know him. His name's Jesus. He's never faced Calvary before. He never faced the mockery, the beatings. Folks, he stepped out of eternity into time. He was worshipped. Everything belonged to him. And he said, I gave it all away to become nothing. That he could help us become something. Come on, get excited in the house of God. He became nothing. And there in that garden, he said, Dad, you know, Father, I'm, I'm getting close to to that place that I haven't been and I'm not liking the way it's looking. You think there might be another way? I mean, come on, Dad, come on. We created all this. What do you think? And the father said, no, I, I love him. I could just wipe them all out and start again, but I love him. I love him so much, son, and you love him too. That's what we did. You did. So we're at that place. And he said, okay, Dad, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. None of these people have ever been where they're at. Maybe you're that person. You've been believing. You've been striving. You've been standing. You've been trusting against hope. You're saying, Pastor, I'm kind of getting weary. God said, I'll strengthen you. Just take your eyes off the problems and put them back on the promise. Take your eyes off the problem and put them back. You see, Pastor, the problem is huge. Goliath was huge. People people looked at Goliath and said, man, he's just too big to hit. David kind of looked back and said, nah, looks like he's too big to miss. Folks, that's the way it is with our problems. The bigger they are, God says, great. Now will you get out of the way and let me deal with it? Folks, things don't always go the way we think they should. And the world is always opposing us. There's people that think, well, I can't get a better job, Pastor, because I don't have a better education. Okay. Get your education. Well, I can't get a better education because I have to have a job. You know how many people have worked their way through college? Don't get me wrong, folks. I, I am a firm believer of higher education. I got all kinds of Education. I got all kinds of degrees behind my name. Before I ever had a 
anything like that, though, as I had God behind my name. The world will always try to push you down because you don't fit into their mold. There was a six-year-old boy that was sent home from, a note, from school with a note saying, keep this boy at home. He's backward, unteachable. He has difficulty in, in, in reading, writing, and math and arithmetic. He has vocabulary skills. This boy is behind all the other kids in simple tasks such as counting. Keep him at home. He'll never amount to anything. Well, I left the line blank in your notes. You can write the name down. The boy they wanted to keep at home was Albert Einstein. Aren't you glad that he said, nah, I think there's more. See, he'd never been where he was, but he said, I'm going to get where I'm going. Can somebody say amen? Folks, multitudes have learned that the road of success has always been paved with the bricks of failure. Secondly, and quickly, real quick this morning, is the truth that I think has been the demise of many Christians, and that is this, that everything costs someone something. Everything costs someone something. You see, God wants you and I to put him first in all things. He paid the price for everything. But Christianity is not a free ride. And no one gets a free, you know, you pray a prayer. Well, everything's great now. Show me this in Scripture. Now, I know there's teaching out there that say that. But the problem is, if the teaching doesn't line up with God's Word, what are you going to believe? God's Word says there's some difficulties. There's some stuff. That's why God says, put me first. I read through, through Peter. How many think Peter learned about stuff? He learned about doing it the wrong way. And through the course, and you can read it through 1 Peter and 2 Peter, he understood that struggles are what builds maturity. You see, this is where I believe it starts in the day and hour we live with all Christendom. That there are too many waiting on God to do for us what he told us to do for ourselves. You know what Christians have bought into? And I have it in your notes. We've bought into an attitude of entitlement. It's the same thing that's sweeping the country today. That's all socialism is. Now, you may be a socialist to here today, and I'll pray that you get saved. Okay? Don't, don't get upset at me, folks. My Bible does not teach that. And this trumps everything. Sorry for the play on words. God's Word does not preach an attitude of entitlement. It tells us you don't work. Woo! That's pretty simple, isn't it? Terry, is that pretty simple? You know what it says? Fathers, let me talk to you guys for just a second. Just a real quick second. Just, just a little side note. I'm taking a side step. The man who won't take care of his own home is worse than an unbeliever. Guys, we have a responsibility to be the head of our homes. Ladies, don't get mad at me, please. If he will rise up to be the man God called him to be, you will love it. But it won't be without cost. Everything costs someone something. Remember Peter? He was struggling. They're all out on Peter's boat and this big old storm comes up and all of a sudden, you know, they're, they're kind of scared. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if Peter was scared more for the people on the boat or scared about his boat. But they were concerned. And Peter said, you know what's going on here? Jesus, you told us to get in the boat and go to the other side. And you didn't get in the boat with us. Is something going on? Well, they're out there in the middle of the storm. 
And by the way, folks, let me share something with you. These were experienced fishermen. They knew that lake, Lake uh, Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, more than anybody. They knew the storm was coming. But because they trusted God, and I want you to hear this, and he said, I want to take you where you've never been. I want to take you where you've never been. I want to take you where you've never been. Daniel went someplace he'd never been. Paul went someplace he'd never been. Jesus went someplace he'd never I want to take you someplace. Do you think when God tells you to get in the boat, he's going to take you where you haven't been, that there might be things you haven't dealt with before? But he said, get in the boat and go to the other side. He promised Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. To make you a father means you've got to have a kid. And if you're going to be the father of many nations, you better hope that kid's a son. Well, God told him, I'm going to give you a son. But 25 years, God? Peter, get in the boat. I'm going to take you where you haven't been, but go to the other side. God promised Abraham, I'd give you a son. And the Bible says his faith never wavered because he knew the God whose promise was able to perform. Daniel knew God's promise, and he said, God, I know you have plans for us, and your plans are to prosper. Your plans are to give us hope and an expected end. God, I just don't know how this is all working, but I'm not going to give up. The angel of the Lord said, I'm glad you didn't give up. Paul, thinking he is doing what God wants on the road to Damascus to kill Christians. And God knocked him off his high horse. Literally. Blinded him. Sometimes God has to take us as far down as he can to get us all the way up where he wants. He has to allow stuff in our lives. Oh, he's not putting ugly on you, but he's letting us do ugly. Look at somebody and say, I know ugly good. He lets us do that. And he said, fine, you do it your way. But I'll help you come to your senses. Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, is not a free ride. Peter is in the boat, and all of a sudden Jesus, who didn't get in the boat with them, but told them, go to the other side. He made a promise, go to the other side. He didn't say, go in the middle and the storm's going to kill you. He said, go to the other side. Can I tell you something? If Jesus is your Lord and Savior, he has promised to finish what he has begun in your life. He promised to get you to the other side. You just got to be strong on the ride. Peter's in the boat, and all of a sudden, Jesus, who chose not to come with them, was on the shore. And as you read the the declaration or the the account of it in Matthew, the Bible says he was on the shore watching them struggle. God watches you. Oh, not because he's saying, "Oh, I got him now." No, the Bible says the trial of our faith works patience. Patience works perseverance. Perseverance works endurance. Endurance works hope. You've got to have hope in this world. And your hope isn't in this world. Your hope is in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen today? Jesus is watching them on the shore. And all of a sudden the Bible says he comes walking to them on the water. You know what Jesus is saying? I'm not sure he's walking like that, but it kind of felt cool right now. Jesus is walking. And you know what the Bible says? He was just going to walk right by him. Do you know why? He never promised smooth sailing, just a safe landing. Go to the other side. So he's walking. He's going to walk past him. And all of a sudden, Peter looks out there and says, It's a ghost! <laughs> 
It is kind of funny, but that is like you and I when things aren't going the way we think God's anywhere but there. And when a ray of hope shows up, you think, God, is, is that you? Could that be you? A- am I making sense today? Could that be you? Against hope. Abraham believed, God, it's been 25 years, but I know you promised you're going to bring it through. Peter sees Jesus and says, Jesus, if it's you, let me talk to you doubters for a second. I believe doubt is a productive part of faith. As long as you don't doubt yourself out, it's okay to doubt yourself in. Peter said, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come. Jesus didn't make some elaborate statement. He didn't say, dude, can't you understand? Don't you know it's me? What did Jesus say? He just said, come. You know what Jesus told you in that struggle against hope? He said, come unto me, all you labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you because it's easy. Take my burden because it's light. Now, now think about it for a second. He said, take my yoke. You know what Jesus is doing? You ever see a yoke? Yeah, it's where you, you team two horses or mules or oxen or cattle together. You know what Jesus said? He said, take my yoke. You know what he's telling you? You know what he's telling you? Come, come, come here, Bill. Bill, come over. Come. You know what he's telling you? Now, I've got to stand up here because Bill's a little taller than me. Okay. There we go. He's, yeah. You know what he's telling me? He's saying, Bill, you've got a yoke on you. Get rid of all that junk attached to it. And guess what? I'm going to team up with you. My yoke is easy because I'm walking it with you. I'm walking it with you. I'm, I'm going to get you to the other side. Oh, you might have to get out. You might have to get out. Did you notice Bill was grabbing on that, that bicep there? He wanted to see them guns. I tell you what, my guns ain't got it, but he got big guns. My yoke is easy. He said, you're having trouble with what you're having trouble with. He said, don't worry. Give it to me and I'll walk you through it all. Can somebody say Amen. But Christianity is not a free ride. But the price has been paid to all who are willing to ride. We're going to pick up there next week. I want to ask you, if God promised you that you are destined to win, and you don't feel like you're winning. Where do you think the difficulty lies? With him or with me? And if it lies with me, what do you think I need to do? It's really simple. The Bible says Abraham, against hope, believed. As we read there in Revelation or in Romans 4, he never wavered at the promise. He never second-guessed it. God, why is it going this way? God just simply said, will you come and trust me? Would you come as the worship team comes this morning? Would you trust me? I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you are. But I know where he is. And he said, I got a yoke that I want to put on you guys. And it's an easy yoke. You've been carrying a burden that's just been weighing you down. Jesus said, my burden's easy. 
Do you know that you and all, you and I have a burden in this life? The only way we grow is we have to strengthen ourselves. That means we're going to go through things. But I can almost guarantee that there's many in this room, you're carrying a burden he never intended you to carry. He said, my burden is light. If I was asked to raise their hands, I could venture to say, most of y'all would say, yeah, that's not my burden. So if his burden is light, why are you carrying a heavy one? Don't you think it would be good to give it to the one who said, I'll carry it for you? Peter didn't know what was going on. All he knew is God said, get in the boat and go the other side. When you gave your life to Christ, God promised, I'll get you to the other side. Just don't be weary in doing what is right. In due season. The due season is the journey from salvation to resurrection. I don't know how long due season is, folks. Some may be long, some may be short. Some may be filled with mountains, some may be filled with valleys. I don't know. But I know I do know God said, if you will trust me with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but if you will acknowledge me in everything you do, that scripture says, I will make your path straight. In the literal translation of the Hebrew of that passage says, I will make your life manageable. I will make your life manageable. That's what he wants to do. Will you let him? Christianity is not a free ride. The fare has been prayed, but you got to be willing to ride his way. There's a song that we're going to sing. And it's a song right out of God's Word. The 51st Psalm. And the words of the song are very simple. It says, change my heart, O God. Make it ever new. Change my heart, O God. Make it be like you. Where are you at today? Are you ready to be back on that winning team? Are you ready to feel like a winner? You got to give it to Him. As we begin to sing, I'm going to open these altars. and I'm going to ask you to come. Just come. I'm not going to tell you words to pray. I'm not going to tell you words to say. But I'm going to tell you, if you want to get rid of that burden, you have to lay it at His feet. If you want a yoke that he is walking with you, you got to take it upon yourself. Take my yoke upon you. It is easy. My burden is light. Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Do you believe that today? I'm going to open these altars. Change my heart, oh God. That's you. Would you come? Just for a moment. We're not going to take a long time because we've had an altar service already. But I want to take an opportunity for you. As you've heard God's word saying, God, I'm carrying what I shouldn't be carrying. I'm attached to what I shouldn't be attached to. God, take it. Take it. Change my heart. Make me like you. My heart, oh God. Change my heart, oh God. May I be, may I be like you. 
Pastor Tim Masters, with this week's message on the Destined to Win podcast. Destined to Win is made possible with the prayerful and financial support of those destined to win. To donate online, visit vlccaz.org. That's vlccaz.org. Destined to Win is a production of Victorious Life Christian Center with services Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. Join us at 2615 East 7th Avenue across from Cal Ranch. I'm Joe Harden. From Pastor Tim Masters and the congregation at Victorious Life Christian Center, you're invited to join us here next week for another edition of the Destined to Win podcast.